One of the best ways to support the FTF podcast is to check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, interviews, and plenty more. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. Where we produce and develop the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I'm your host, Derek Baker. And today, we're talking about one of the greats. One of the games that shaped the next-gen platform, the next-gen, especially first-person shooting platform, as we see it today. Yeah, we are. I mean, Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare. God, we talked about it a little bit online or offline, but it was just this game really came at a time where I think the World War II stuff had started to kind of wear on people. Mm-hmm. We had advanced shooters, but they were in more of the sci-fi realm. We're talking about Halo, of course. And so Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare came into play, and it was a more modern take on these FPS genres, these military-esque genres. And Modern Warfare was a lot of fun when it came out, and it launched, obviously, multiple sequels. It's had remasters now. Not only that, there were two different companies working on basically the Call of Duty, more modern games at the same time so they definitely struck gold with a game like this well yeah definitely shaped it because you had games like arma you had like Graw, ghost recon advanced warfare that had come out and they had handled their own way of doing it whether in a hyper realistic way or in more of a tactical way but this brought that in a way arcade shooter if 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 that's the way we want to put it but brought it in a way that made it accessible to all and brought a lot more people into the genre and a lot more people into either buying consoles or, or jumping into this Call of Duty mindset that had previously been a PC startup that had made its way to consoles in the gaming realm. Yeah, and I think the hyper-realism is probably the most divisive part about games like this. And so Call of Duty Modern Warfare, I think, found a happy medium between hyper-realism, and also a little bit of that arcade fun where you're just able to play something that if you really want to, you can up the difficulty and you can try and be extremely tactical and work with your team and do whatever you need to do. But at the same time, understand that it's not a situation where it's always fun to get shot one time by a NPC that saw you through a wall, you know, five minutes earlier or whatever. Like, there is that happy medium in first-person shooter genres, and I think Modern Warfare did a great job balancing that. I think that's why the online play became so popular. I personally really loved Modern Warfare 2's online gameplay, but obviously we needed something to pave the way, 
And let's talk about that a little bit. Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare is a 2007 first-person shooter video game developed by Infinity Ward and published by Activision. It is the fourth main installment in the Call of Duty series. The game breaks away from the World War II setting of previous entries and is instead set in modern times. Developed for over two years, Modern Warfare was released in November of 2007 for the PS3, Xbox 360, and Microsoft Windows, and was ported to the Wii as Call of Duty Modern Warfare Reflex Edition in 2009. The story takes place in the year of 2011, where a radical leader has executed the president of an unnamed country in the Middle East, and an ultra-nationalist movement ignites a civil war in Russia. The conflicts are seen from the perspectives of a U.S. Marine Force recon sergeant and a British SAS commando and are set in various locales such as the U.K., the Middle East, Azerbaijan, Russia, and Ukraine. The multiplayer portion of the game features various game modes and contains a leveling system that allows the player to unlock additional weapons, weapon attachments, and camouflage schemes as they advance. P90, am I right? The game received universal acclaim from critics, with praise towards the gameplay and story, but criticism for the lack of innovation. The game won numerous awards from gaming websites, including IGN's best Xbox 360 game. And the game is considered one of the greatest video games of all time. It was the top-selling game worldwide for 2007, selling around 7 million copies by January 2008, and almost 16 million by November 2013. It was followed by two sequels that continue the storyline, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 and Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3, which were released in 2009 and 2011, respectively. A remastered version of the game, Call of Duty Modern Warfare Remastered, was released as part of special edition bundles of Call of Duty Infinite Warfare in November 2016 and as a standalone game in 2017. A reboot of the Modern Warfare games, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, was released in October 2019. So let's break down, we've talked about Activision, you know him as a publisher, let's talk about Infinity Ward. Because Infinity Ward, in and of itself, is Activision and not Activision at the same time. So Infinity Ward was founded as an Activision division by Grant Collier, Jason West, and Vince Zimpella in 2002. The studio was formed by several members of 2015 Games LLC, the studio that developed the successful Medal of Honor Allied Assault for EA in 2002. Dissatisfied with the current contract they had under EA, Collier, West, and Zimpella engaged with Activision to help establish Infinity Ward, which became one of the primary studios within Activision for the competing Call of Duty series. Initially, Activision provided Infinity Ward with 1.5 million for a 30% stake in the company to start development on the first game, Call of Duty, acquiring full ownership after the title was successfully launched in 2003. During this period, the studio had about 25 employees, including many who followed Collier West and Zimpella from 2015. Activision allowed Infinity Ward a great deal of freedom in how it developed its titles. Shortly after this release, Microsoft contacted Activision to seek a Call of Duty title as a launch title for their upcoming Xbox 360 console. Infinity Ward agreed to prepare Call of Duty 2 for release in the last quarter of 2005. Collier said the request would help them lose the stigma of being only a PC developer 
And so to make sure the console version was on par, they tripled their staff to about 75 employees. Much of the focus of Infinity Ward's development was improving its game engine to include realistic special effects, such as smoke grenades to hinder sight, or bullets piercing through weak materials. Call of Duty 2 was a major success, having an 85% attach rate to new 360 console sales and selling 1.4 million units in its first year. At this point, Activision brought in Treyarch, one of their internal studios, to help develop additional Call of Duty games, with Infinity Ward spending the time and effort to improve the game's engine for one game, and Treyarch using the updated engine to create a new title. Treyarch released the next sequel, Call of Duty 3, while Infinity Ward itself developed Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare, which instead of taking place during World War II, was set in a contemporary period with a fictional conflict between superpowers. At the time of Modern Warfare's release, Infinity Ward had more than 100 employees. So, what it started with, you know, three guys being like, hey, we're not liking what's going on here, let's start up something new, became 25 with a lot of old coworkers, to 75 to be like, hey, let's jump that console market, we need to be out there and making some more sales, basically, to being like, hey, we're a major studio, we got a lot of people, let's start making some more games. I find this whole concept very interesting as far as a, a game series goes. Obviously, I think the Call of Duty series has jumped from we want to just have some, some kind of first-person shooter to we want like a money-generating machine. And there's a certain balance that has to be made within that, right? Like it's we need to have advancing graphics. We need to have advancing mechanics. But at the same time, we also need new titles. And so to have this duality of we're going to have Call of Duty developers working on releasing games at the same time, but they're going to be kind of melded together, I think is a really interesting concept within video gaming and also like as a money-making machine. Well, it allows one studio to focus on their series. So obviously Treyarch ended up taking over like Black Ops. Uh, Call of Duty Black Ops. So you have right. one studio kind of continue their series in a way with Modern Warfare and the takes on those. Treyarch, as we had said, working on that same engine can kind of improve on more of the creativeness or on extra modes or on a different story element of it while still feeling like the same Call of Duty you've played before. It's an ingenious way to Assassin's Creed it and try and pump out a game every year or two while still keeping the studios not overworked in a way. You're not having the same studio pump out the same thing while still also making a new engine. And I think, in a way, while it's maybe a controversial concept, it does limit the fatigue in that, in that way. Because you're absolutely right. Like You're able to focus really in on your game, and the title lives on. And it's not mm -hmm. something that's a passion project that you came up with on your own. I mean, obviously, military-esque games have been around for a long time. And sure. you're able to sort of explore new things within those concepts. And mm -hmm. I don't know about you. I really love the Modern Warfare stuff. I typically didn't play the Black Ops you know, type of games. But I had friends that were the polar opposites. They love the Nazi zombies. They love playing those Black Ops games, and they love the online player for those. And so that's almost uh, an interesting thing as well. 
is you have the same series, but there are preferences within that series as well. Yeah, I, I know. I think most everyone, I had played the original Call of Duties on PC, but most everyone's entrance into this modern take was Modern Warfare. And then, like you said, you split. Like, I played mostly Black Ops. I liked more of the arcade aspect of it, zombies. I played a little bit of Modern Warfare 2 and some of the offshoots of that, but kind of stayed in that Black Ops realm before I quit playing them. But that's, I think, where I sided a bit. And I think I liked more of the creativity that was added in the game modes for those versus, for me, this is just me caring about the story of Modern Warfare. I didn't really care. It's a great story when it comes to a story in an FPS that can meld kind of tugging on his heartstrings and making a cohesive piece versus a game that might just be like an arcade shooter. Well, honestly, for me, had I not played Modern Warfare first before Black Ops, I probably would have switched over to Black Ops. I think the mm-hmm. gameplay was a little bit more interesting. I, I love the Nazi zombies, and I think the online gameplay was really smooth. Mm-hmm. The Modern Warfare concepts were really fun to me, and I was familiar with them, and I wasn't willing to necessarily like spend the money on both every single year. So for me, it was a little bit easier to just say, I'm going to get Modern Warfare, I'll get Modern Warfare 2. And Modern Warfare 2 obviously improved on so many of the online aspects. Um, the campaign may be a little bit of a different story, but either way, a lot of fun. Whatever team you sided with, or if you played both, I think that they did a really good job with these games. But let's talk about that development process a little bit. So Modern Warfare was developed by a team of 100 people, like we said, over the course of two years. And after Call of Duty 2, the Infinity Ward team decided to move away from the World War II environment of previous games in the series. And this is what resulted in three game concepts. There was Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, and then Modern Warfare 3. And while developing the story for Call of Duty 4, Infinity Ward chose to avoid referencing current, real-life wars and kept the series' common theme of two opposing forces of similar strength. And to enhance the realistic feel of the game, the development team attended a live-fire exercise at Marine Corps Air Ground Combat Center 29 Palms, a training facility in the California desert. This helped the developers to simulate the effects of being near an Abrams tank when it fires. The team also talked with U.S. Marines who were recently in combat to get a feel for background, emotions, and attitude of Marines in combat. Veterans were also recruited to supervise motion capture sessions and the artificial intelligence design of the game. The development team designed the online multiplayer component to be balanced and rewarding for new players while still offering something for experienced players. An early idea to implement air support or airstrikes and attack helicopters, for example, involved players fighting over special zones to access a trigger for air support against enemies. This idea was discarded because it discouraged the type of deathmatch gameplay they intended. The killstreak reward system instead was put in its place to encourage the improvement of player skills. Players were allowed to select weapons before matches to get accustomed to weapons more easily and minimize weapon hunting. Maps were designed primarily for deathmatch games. The developers felt such designs suited other types of gameplay as well. Map layouts were designed to minimize locations 
Players could hide from enemy gunfire. Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare runs on the IW engine, specifically IW 3.0, featuring true world dynamic lighting, HDR lighting effects, dynamic shadows, and depth of field. Bullet penetration is calculated by the engine, taking into account factors such as surface type and entity thickness. The game runs at a native resolution of 600p on the Xbox 360 and PS3. Certain objects, such as cars and some buildings, are destructible. This makes distinguishing cover from concealment important, as the protection provided by objects such as wooden fences and thin walls do not completely protect players from harm. Bullet-stopping power is decreased after penetrating an object, and the decrease is dependent on the thickness and surface type of that object. The game makes use of a dynamic physics engine not implemented in previous Call of Duty titles. Death animations are a combination of preset animations and ragdoll physics. Console versions of Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare run at a consistent 60 frames per second, and the Wii version runs at 30 frames per second. Code was included to determine spawning points based on the nearby weapons and the relationship between enemy positions and line of sight to the points. The various criteria are meant to minimize players dying immediately after rejoining a match or being spawn killed due to players simply waiting for others to respawn. However, enemies may still respawn infinitely, a notable feature in Call of Duty game engines. The game engine has also been used for the development of two other Activision games. An enhanced version of the original engine was used in Call of Duty World at War, the fifth installment in the Call of Duty series after Modern Warfare, whilst a slightly altered version has been used for the James Bond video game Quantum of Solace, as well as GoldenEye 007 using a heavily modified version of it. So it, it, it's interesting to see, you know, what Activision takes on and is like, hey, like these are also shooters, let's add this to it. And World at War was, again, one of those spin-off-y games that was like, hey, we already have the engine built. Let's bring it back to World War II and try it out and see how things work out. Well, I think what was cool about what they decided to do with these Call of Duty games was making the environment more of an impact because it was about, yeah, okay, sure, there's something in front of you, but there's a realism factor. Like, mm-hmm. if I'm going to fire into combustible chemicals frequently, hey, maybe those things blow up and you shouldn't hang out there for a long time. You need to move again. It was kind of about, I think, trying to limit camping and mm-hmm. you people who had maybe gotten a little bit too comfortable doing that and doing this just precision sniping from across a map. These things have transferred into tons of first-person shooter games, and I, I think that they are an advancement for that genre. I think that they make them a little bit more hectic, a little bit more fun. You have to be careful. At the same time, you have to be precise. Mm-hmm. To me, it just really added to the fun factor. Yeah, and especially the being able to shoot through cover and seeking what types of cover you had. Because not only is it things that'll blow up, it'll get destroyed, if you're behind a thin wall or a wooden door, you know, it is cool, like, in the back end of it, being like, hey, this material type and this thickness based on this will allow that penetration to go through. So, like, if you try and, like, jump behind a door to reload and they pepper that door up, like, you're going down. So it is, it is a really cool idea to add to that versus, like you said, being able to just camp behind some rock that you were the whole time that has a little bit of cover. This allows you to be mobile and keep moving. 
And there are spots that obviously snipers can be, and you can get things that'll help you with that. But it became so much more of a fast-paced game that wasn't the don't go to no man's land. It's like, you better sprint, get around this, have your teammates help you. And then if you guys are getting destroyed on the west side of the map and they're advancing on you, you're going to spawn behind them on the east. So that you're not just constantly getting sniped and shot as soon as you load in. Because that was an issue. It was an issue with Halo. It was an issue with early Call of Duties. It was an issue with many shooters where there were, let's say, 10 set points. Three are guaranteed not to be there because of this, but then they'll just watch those other ones and just keep taking you out. And it just, it destroys that experience. Yeah, absolutely. You had to be tactical and you had to be an organized team. And I think first-person shooter games have always rewarded teamwork in a certain Mm -hmm. degree, but it is more like you said um, before this, where it was like, okay, well, we've taken out the team. We know where they're going to respawn. Like, you go there, you go there. Like, let's single-handedly basically like have someone watch this particular spot and then it's no longer that much fun. And so adding in these different criterias where not only are people, you know, able to be killed behind walls, they can't just sit in certain spots, but they are respawning in various spots where it makes all that stuff difficult and it makes it harder to survive, I think makes it a lot more realistic and a lot more fun. Exactly. So on April 27, 2007, the day before the release of the game's trailer, Infinity Ward launched a website called Charlie Oscar Delta to provide information on the game. Charlie Oscar Delta features a ranking system that allows users to complete missions to increase their rank and compete for prizes. I'm just going to call this COD from now on. It seems appropriate. COD is derived from the NATO phonetic alphabet and the initials of Call of Duty. Hey, who would have guessed? The first Call of Duty Modern Warfare trailer featuring game footage was released on April 28th. An Xbox 360 Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare public beta test was announced on August 30th, and the beta test was designed to test the servers, find glitches, and help balance out the weapons. It was originally only for residents of the U.S., but was later available to other countries, and it concluded on September 30th of that year. The maximum rank for the beta was initially level 16, but was increased to level 25 towards the end. And three multiplayer maps were available for play, called Crash, Vacant, and Overgrown. A single-player demo for the PC was released on October 11th as a Yahoo download throwback, and that makes me feel really old. The demo includes one level, The Bog, which showcases the advanced night vision and associated graphics capabilities. Now, we all know the gameplay. You've played it. But we'll just break it down real quick and the changes that were made and that made it, again, a modern take on it. In older games, you used to have to get your health pack or you'd have to pick up some armor somewhere for some things. They changed it up a bit. And so let's break it down in a few things that you can I can't do within modern warfare. So a character can be positioned in one of three stances, standing, crouched, or prone, each affecting the character's rate of movement, accuracy, and stealth. Using cover helps the player to avoid enemy fire or recover health after taking significant damage. As such, there are no armor or health pickups. When the character is taken damage, the edges of the screen glow red and the character's heartbeat increases. If the character stays out of fire, the character can recover. When the character is within the blast radius of a live grenade, 
a marker indicates the direction of the grenade, helping the player to either flee or toss it back at the enemy. The game is the first in the Call of Duty series to feature modern equipment. The game also introduces new features, particularly multiplayer mechanics such as killstreaks, where the player gains access to special abilities for killing enemies without dying. So you can set these before the match, and these are unlockable um, as you level up, but you can have something at, I think it's two or three if I remember, uh, you get a UAV, so it'll pulse on your minimap showing enemy locations. You can get attack dogs, attack helicopter, various equipment drops, things that higher up on the scale, the more kills you get before dying, will add to it and give you a greater power up and give you something that's possibly insane or something that may be a nice piece of equipment to help you and your team along the way. Yeah, I think in the later games, they're like giving you nukes and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's pretty crazy. 25. Hey there, soldier. You want a nuke? Because you killed it's 10 pretty, guys it's, in a row? It's pretty Good. much like a baseball mercy rule. You get 25 <laughs> kills in a row, it's like, just just end the game. Yeah. Like, you win. Like, there's no way they come back from this. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think everything's been settled here. Uh, we got John Rambo playing <laughs> Call of Duty, so... Listen, it's only the third inning, and they're up twenty-five to zero. Let's just let's just call it here. Just nuke the field, and uh, just call it here, and we'll go on to the next one. Yeah, guys got a baseball bat, and John Rambo shows up. You got any weapons? <laughs> no, it's um, I I do like some of the decisions that they made here. I think that the grenade stuff, um, just the little marker, kind of changed the way that I played first-person shooter games mm-hmm. because the the grenade like. Yeah, there were indicators of like, hey, there's a grenade by you and stuff. This one I feel like was really precise. It was really like it had the pulsing going on and it had just a lot of indications that, okay, if you throw this at the right time, it's going to explode basically on impact. And so it really changed that dynamic of, okay, do I need to go and rush and throw this back or do I need to run away as soon as possible? Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. most people got so good at throwing grenades that it was basically like as soon as that marker appeared on the screen, like you're, you're toast. It's over. Yeah. I think that made the online play a little bit more fun and it made you consider a little bit more about how to throw a grenade because, yeah, it could come back at you. And you needed to be as precise as possible. And so just another impact on the precision of FPS multiplayer. But of course, in addition to the multiplayer, there was the campaign. And I think that this is probably one of the games where they really tried to focus in a little bit more on the emotion of the characters within first-person shooters. Of course, Mm -hmm. World War II and the European theater and the Pacific theater, they had been covered in many, many games. And there's an emotional attachment there, especially for U.S. people. I mean, this is the greatest generation, and there's been countless documentaries, films made about this whole concept. But at the same time, it was also distant. It was also long ago. It was something that happened in our history that we're probably familiar with, but it wasn't necessarily something that was relatable. And I think that this game, even though it chose to, quote, stay out of current politics, was a little bit more relatable to people. And I think that they tried to give people perspectives of soldiers that were in the Middle East at the time of this 
game's release. And so let's talk about that campaign a little bit. The player takes on the role of various characters during the single-player campaign, so not just the one. The character's involvement in the plot occurs simultaneously and overlaps the events in the game, and as such, the player's perspective changes from one character to another between missions. Each mission features a series of objectives. The player is led to each objective with the heads-up display or the AGD, the HUD, which marks its direction and distance. Some objectives require the player arrive at a checkpoint, while other objectives require the player to eliminate enemies in a specified location, stand their ground to defend an objective, or plant explosive charges on an enemy installation. After completing the campaign, a special epilogue mission is unlocked for play, and the mission itself has no bearing on the campaign plot and focuses on an SAS squad fighting terrorists that have hijacked an airplane and taken a VIP hostage. The main campaign features 30 collectible pieces of intel that award the player with game cheats and visual filters such as infinite ammunition, cluster grenades, and increased contrast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Like you said, like this is really tugging on those heartstrings. And they do that by making the characters not just faceless. You know, sometimes you're like the unnamed protagonist, just pew, pew, pew going through with this. But you have people around you that you get to know. You get to know their names. You get to know who you are. So during the single player campaign, the player controls six different characters from a first person perspective. The player assumes the role of a recent recruit to the British Special Air Forces or the SAS, Sergeant John Soap McTavish, for most of the game starting with his induction into the 22nd SAS Regiment. Sergeant Paul Jackson is a member of the U.S. Marine Corps First Force Recon Company, deployed to the Middle East, who the player controls during five levels of Act 1. Captain John Price, voiced by actor Bill Murray, is an SAS officer who is playable in two flashback missions from 1996 in which he is lieutenant. The player also assumes the role of an American thermal imaging TV operator, aboard a Lockheed AC-130 gunship during one level, and a British SAS operative, as Derek had said, infiltrating a hijacked airliner to save a VIP in a secret level titled Mile High Club. Finally, the player may control Yasir Afulani, the president of an unnamed Middle Eastern country in the game, before he's executed, although he has no freedom of action beyond turning his head. And that was something that... So all the credits are rolling at the beginning of the game. It is mm-hmm. something that I think was very different for video games like this. And this is what I really wanted to point out is it was directly tying you to these characters in a way that other games had not done before because this is a character that gets eliminated very quickly in a first-person perspective. Yeah, it, it's, it's as if, it, again, it's as if it's you. Or you're taking on that role, and it's not just watching this person go down or something happen to them. You take that on. That's how it like starts you out, and things go a little crazy with it. Uh, uh, most first-person shooter games are trying to make you feel like you are that person. I mean, we talk about Halo, right? Mm-hmm. You want to be Master Chief. It's the unnamed protagonist. 
you are not Master Chief, but as far as you're concerned, like you kind of are. And to have games where that character that you're looking through their eyes, their vision, I mean, talk about putting yourself in someone else's shoes. And then, you you know, you watch the gun on the screen come and they shoot you in the face and now that character is gone. I mean, that is a very deep, visceral connection that I, I don't think a lot of video games were doing at the time. And Call of Duty has, I think, sort of spearheaded that experience and they mm-hmm. didn't abandon that experience in fact they dug deeper in their sequels and i think that's what made these games so emotional when first person shooters maybe didn't always feel that way absolutely so let's wrap up the few characters we do have left because those are the ones you can be and you can operate as at least have some sort of control uh the game's npcs feature prominently in the story Captain Price and his right-hand man, Gaz, serve as mentors to Soap. Jackson's platoon is led by Lieutenant Vasquez and Staff Sergeant Griggs. Griggs later accompanies Soap in Russia. Sergeant Komarov leads the Russian loyalists that aid the SAS and USMC forces. Nikolai is a Russian informant who helps the SAS. And Captain McMillan is Price's mentor and commanding officer during a flashback. The antagonists in the story include Imran Zaki, the leader of the Russian ultranationalist party, and the main antagonist of the game, Khalid al-Assad, the commander of the revolutionary forces in the Middle East, and an ally of Imran Zakiv and Viktor Zakiv, the son of Imran and a priority figure in the ultranationalist party. And so with those characters, in 2011, a civil war breaks out in Russia between its government and ultranationalists. Meanwhile, a separatist group led by Khaled al-Assad who holds anti-Western views, seizes power in an unnamed country in the Middle East through a coup. In response, the United States invades the country. A platoon of U.S. Marines from First Force Recon Company, led by Lieutenant Vasquez, fails to capture Al-Assad and later engage in urban combat in a nearby city with support from an M1 Abrams tank. Meanwhile, new British Special Air Service operator Sergeant John Soap McTavish is recruited into Captain Price's team, which conducts two operations. The first leads them to infiltrate a cargo ship in the Bering Strait. Neutralizing the armed Russians on board, the team secures a nuclear device labeled in Arabic. Enemy MIGs scuttle the ship, but the SAS escapes by helicopter. The second operation tasks the SAS with rescuing an ally a Russian informant named Nikolai, working within the ultranationalist party. Assisted by Russian loyalist forces, Price's team extracts Nikolai. However, their helicopter is brought down, forcing the team to make their way through enemy territory with support from an AC-130 gunship before they're extracted. Intelligence gathered from these two missions indicates that Al-Assad may be in possession of a Russian nuclear device. The U.S. launches a full-scale assault on al-Assad's presidential palace, aware of the possible nuclear device. As SEAL Team 6 raids the palace, the USMC engage al-Assad's ground forces. However, the assault ends in catastrophe when the nuclear device suddenly detonates, wiping out most of the city along with everyone in it. Refusing to assume al-Assad dead, Price's team, supported by Russian loyalists, raids a safe house in Azerbaijan, where they locate and capture Al-Assad. During the interrogation, Price answers Al-Assad's phone before executing him, 
revealing that the caller was the leader of the ultranationalists, Imran Zakev. Price reveals that in the aftermath of the Chernobyl disaster and the collapse of the Soviet Union, Zakev profited from nuclear proliferation and used his new wealth to lure Soviet army soldiers to form his ultranationalist party. Price and his superior captain Macmillan were ordered to assassinate Zakiev in Pripyat, Ukraine, in 1996, where Price fired upon Zakiev with a sniper rifle from a hotel. However, the shot only severed Zakiev's arm. Price and Macmillan barely escaped his forces. Following al-Assad's death, Price's team holed off against ultranationalist forces who arrived to avenge him. A joint task force composed of the SAS, Force Recon, and the Loyalists then attempt to capture Zakaev's son, Victor, to learn Zakaev's whereabouts. After ambushing him, Victor flees but is cornered on the roof of an apartment building. Refusing to surrender, he commits suicide. Enraged, Zakaev retaliates by taking control of a nuclear launch facility. An operation is launched by the task force to take back the site. However, Zakaev promptly launches nuclear intercontinental ballistic missiles at the U.S. eastern seaboard with the potential of causing 41 million casualties. The SAS and Force Recon manage to breach the facility and remotely destroy the missiles over the Atlantic Ocean. They escape in military trucks with Zakaev's forces in pursuit. An ultra-nationalist Mi-24 Hein helicopter destroys a bridge and traps the joint force. In the ensuing fight, a tanker explodes and many of the group are either killed or injured. Zakaev himself arrives and begins killing wounded soldiers when arriving loyalists in the Mi-28 Havoc destroy his Mi-24 Hein. Distracted, Zakaev turns to the loyalists and Price gives the pistol to Soap, who kills Zakaev and his escort and Loyalist forces start tending to the wounded immediately. In the epilogue, the missile incident and the ultra-nationalist support of Al-Assad are covered up, prompting further events. And you may or may not know, but there are two more Modern Warfare games. So, uh, <laughs> there are two more that were already planned anyway. So, yeah, so Who knows yeah. how the story goes? Things do continue, maybe. Perhaps. I don't want to spoil it for you, oh, but they exist. Knows? But Sorry, it was a cool story. Sorry I mean, to spoil it, it, that for you. Oh, no, it's okay. But it was a cool story uh, bringing in, again, known entities of, you know, the United States, Russia, middle, unnamed Middle East, and the British forces. So you already know who you're working with. And it's just an interesting story to tell that is a plausibility. You know, they're trying to tell things that aren't necessarily happening as of when they're making this, but doesn't mean things like this can't happen. And that's kind of how they took their cues. That's very much how a lot of Hollywood stuff does. It's like inklings of potentials that might happen, especially in all these like different modern war movies that come out. Um, and it was done well. I mean, it's done in a way where like a nuclear blast does happen and we do lose people. Like it's, it wasn't supposed to happen. You know, you're the good guys, quote unquote, saving the day, but stuff happens. I think that's where the ending is a little bit more impactful. In mm -hmm. that they've already killed off first-person perspective characters. They've already killed yeah. off people because of nuclear blasts. And I think that without those things, the ending doesn't mean as much. Now, I really love the ending to Modern Warfare 1. I didn't love the ending to 2 and 3. Yeah, they're um, all but right. That, but that's a, a discussion for another day. I think that this game in a vacuum is really excellent, especially in its plot. 
especially for a first-person shooter game. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes these games get made and they're only really intending the one. And then, you know, the it's like, oh, well, this was so great. We have to make it two. We have to make it three. We have to wrap up this trilogy. Sometimes they probably just shouldn't. I think this game does a really excellent job within itself. And it does an okay job expanding into the second and third games from a plot perspective. But an amazing job continuing to expand the gameplay in those games for sure and like we discussed before the driving force behind it like the campaigns are important they're great the storytelling is excellent um but it's the multiplayer it's what keeps people coming back it's what's kept the series growing even if the stories weren't that great the gameplay typically always was so call of duty 4 modern warfare features team-based and deathmatch-based multiplayer modes on various maps Each mode has an objective that requires unique strategies to complete. Players can call in UAV reconnaissance scans, airstrikes, attack helicopters, when they achieve three, five, and seven enemy kill streaks, respectively. So it is three. A game ends when either a team or player has reached a predefined number of points, or the allotted time expires, in which case the team or player with the most points wins. If the points are even when the time expires, sudden death mode is activated, in which there is no respawning and the team who either has the last man standing or achieves the objective first are the winners. If the player is in either of the two matches, then there is an overtime match in which the next team to win is awarded the victory. The player's performance in the multiplayer mode is tracked with experience points, which can be earned by killing opposing players, completing challenges, completing objectives, or by completing a round or a match. As the player gains experience, they advance in level, unlocking new weapons, perks, challenges, and gameplay modes. The highest attainable level is 55, but on the console versions of the game, the player has the option to enter prestige mode, which returns their level to 1 and removes all accumulated unlockables. This process can be repeated up to 10 times, with a different insignia being given each time. As the player advances in levels and goes up higher in prestige, they earn the ability to customize their classes. This includes selecting their main weapon, sidearm, and special grenade type. Additionally, the player can select three perks, one from each of the three tiers, that can customize their character further. Perk effects include, but are not limited to, diarrhea, constipation, and various other doctor effects, but in the game, you get extra ammunition. (laughs) Who does... Mm, Who doesn't love a little modern warfare? You're fighting the war outside, you're fighting the war in your stomach. (laughs) Anyway, here's a few things we can do Battle of the Bulge in my gut. Please see your doctor. Extra ammunition, increasing bullet damage by the player, or dropping a live grenade when the player is killed. The player is also given the choice to complete challenges in order to receive even more experience points. Challenges include achieving a certain number of kills with a specific weapon shooting down a helicopter, or performing a number of headshots. Additionally, when the player attains a certain number of headshots with a specific weapon, excluding firearms, the player unlocks extra weapon camos, or camouflage, to use for that specific weapon. So, almost like prestiging your gun, it's like, hey, look, I'm a really good shooter with this. You get the cool, very specific unlock for your weapon, noting you are fantastic. I mean, it's an intimidation factor, right? It's like that Hayabusa. Oh, exactly. The Hayabusa armor, you see a guy with Hayabusa, you're like, oh no, that guy's definitely going to kill me. But in the modern age, oh no, that guy spent a lot of money. 
<laughs> in the modern age, uh, that guy's rich, <laughs> and he's gonna kill me in other ways. <laughs> Let's talk about the music and sound before I go on a tangent. <laughs> The soundtrack was composed by film composer Stephen Barton, with Modern Warfare being his first time scoring a video game. Harry Gregson Williams would assist Barton with the project while also writing the main theme. Barton and Gregson Williams wanted to fully envelop the game in sound, tending to play towards the environment and action more than the characters in combat. Breaks between the combat, however, would lean more towards emotional orchestral and guitar sounds. One way the players emerged into the large-scale ideas of the game was through the use of motifs in the levels that were based on the main theme. When playing in the Middle East, Arabic instruments can be heard, but in atypical ways to represent the stress and distortion of sound during combat. An oud, bazooki, musin, and bullhorn were recorded individually as well as the orchestra in order to create a more Middle Eastern depth to the sound. Modern Warfare soundtrack would be performed and recorded by a full orchestra and various other live instruments at Abbey Road Studios in London, England. That's right. The Beatles did this record. Mm-hmm. No, I'm just kidding. Pretty they much. Not. Included at the end of the soundtrack is a song by former lead animator and voice actor for Staff Sergeant Griggs, Mark Grigsby. Other than video games growing up, Mark Grigsby had an interest in rapping and performed with several groups before pursuing animation. The other members of the Infinity Ward team knew about Grigsby's other talent, but Grigsby was modest about it. When the time came, the development team wanted a rap song during the credits, and they wanted Grigsby to do it. He declined and instead suggested Sean Price. The development team would not budge, wanting the song to be by somebody personal, to the game's creation, specifically Grigsby. Grigsby would eventually give in and rap the track deep and hard, citing the famous line from an E3 presentation of the game, quote, Variety is the next big thing for us. We're going deep and we're going hard. The Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare soundtrack contains 61 tracks for a total of 83 minutes even. While not publicly released, many players and fans still consider the soundtrack to be one of the greatest in the Call of Duty franchise, as well as the start to the new generation of Call of Duty games. I agree. I mean, again, this was a game that really centralized and focused in on the environment, the experience, you know, not just telling a story but experiencing something different i think xbox 360 and really that era of video games is where we started to get the modernization of games with these motifs with recurring themes with Mm -hmm. experiences you wanted not only a game that you were playing but a, a very emotional impactful experience if you could achieve those things that's really really where the art i think started to achieve one of its highest forms and i think we experience a lot of that today because of games like this as silly as it sounds call of duty modern warfare really started a change in the modern shooter genre it it did i mean it's this is the era to the late you know 2000s where especially on a soundtrack basis you start to get those orchestral soundtracks those more cinematic ones and you have a cinematic composer 
coming to compose this soundtrack. And it really adds to the narrative of it. Not only just a story, but like, let's say you just had, you know, no music, goofy music, just war music. I don't know how else to say that. If, if you didn't have a soundtrack that really sucked into the moment. Yeah, like a Saving Private Ryan, a Band of Brothers. Yeah. You know, you've you've got a very orchestral sound. It 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 does associate a lot with that era, the, the greatest generation era. Yeah, and, and it really sucks you into this and sucks you into feeling like you're there. And it's a really great shift when it comes to sound design especially in gaming. I mean, it, it becomes bigger than it is. And Stephen Barton, you know, he went on and he actually did the soundtrack for Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. And so mm-hmm. you see where he is started to, I think, expand into more theatrical games as well. And I mean, he's worked on a ton of other stuff. He worked on Titanfall. I think he's worked on Apex Legends. I mean, this is a guy who's yeah. done the first-person shooter genre in a more grandiose experience as well. Oh, yeah. It brought that cinematic quality to kind of any which way or the other of that style of game, whether it's futuristic, in the past, current. It, it, it melds it really well, um, and it really sucks you in, which is super awesome. But let's jump real quick. Let's talk about the different release versions. We had talked a little bit about what systems it had come out on, where ports had gone, but let's break it down to that nitty-gritty. The game was released as a standard version and a collector's edition. The collector's edition contains the standard retail game and a DVD containing a documentary film entitled Great SAS Missions, which consists of archived footage of the SAS in action and accounts from former SAS members. The DVD contains a making of featurette and a level walkthrough by the developers. Also included is a limited edition poster and a hardcover art book featuring never before seen concept, development, and final edition artwork. These elements were packaged in a large cardboard version of the standalone retail box. The collector's edition was originally only available in the U.S., but was later released in other countries. A Game of the Year edition was later released on PC, Xbox 360, and PlayStation 3. The PlayStation 3 version included the variety map pack on the disc. Now, while the Xbox 360 Game of the Year edition initially included an insert in the packaging, which could be redeemed on Xbox Live Marketplace, later releases did not contain the insert. So there was no difference between the game of the year and the original. So they, for some reason, included it for a while, and then was like, mm, no. This was like their <laughs> version of the Platinum Hits. It's like, exactly. hey, this game was really great, but let's put a cool border around it. And you know that it's a good game. <laughs> Other people like now, this. You, you probably do too. You should pay full you, price. Yeah, you'll pay full price because this is a new looking one. You know it's good because it's silver. Oh, it's platinum, baby. And we loved platinum in the mid 2000s. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's someone to live. Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare was released for consoles and Windows in North America on November 5th, 2007, in Australia on November 7th and in Europe on November 9th. The Mac OS X version of the game, there you go, Derek, was developed Baby. by Aspire and released on September 26, 2008. It was released on the Mac App Store on January 16, 2011. The Wii port of the game, titled Call of Duty Modern Warfare Reflex Edition, was developed by Treyarch and released on November 10, 2009, alongside Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 and Call of Duty Modern Warfare Mobilized. Oh, that's a cool name. 
I actually like that name mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Mobilized. It's good stuff. But let's talk about the most important version of this game, and it, that was the Wii version. Oh, of course. Modern Warfare Reflex Edition was ported by Treyarch. The Wii version of Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare has fewer features than the other console versions. It does not support split-screen multiplayer, and the graphics are not as developed. However, it supports co-op gameplay in the campaign on a single screen. At any moment, a second Wii remote can be activated, giving the second player their own aiming crosshairs. The game received an aggregated score of 76% on Metacritic. IGN gave the Wii version of the game, Call of Duty Modern Warfare Reflex Edition, a score of 7 saying the visuals and pointer controls are not as polished as the Wii version of World at War, though they did mention the customization options in multiplayer are impressive. Official Nintendo Magazine gave it an 80%, praising it for packing everything from its next-gen counterpart, but again criticizing the visuals. Game Trailers gave the game an 8.8, saying that despite some sacrifices, it retains everything good from its original version. Game Informer scored the game at a 6.5, stating that while the game was rather poor graphically, even by Wii standards, the bigger problem was the Wii remote, stating that it did not have enough buttons to support Modern Warfare's control scheme, and also that it was quite imprecise, contrasting it with the dual analog system used by the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 versions, and the mouse and keyboard system on the Windows version of the game. GameSpot gave the game an 8.5, stating that the online was as addictive as the other versions, and they said that the controls are, quote, precise and customizable enough to let you be all you can be. If I've ever heard of a paid sentence in a review, it would be that sentence right there. No, 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 no. Those controls are def. They're as precise and customizable enough to let you be... You. I mean, uh, yeah, there's a, a massive, massive contrast between the Wii, uh, Wii versions of this. I'll say right now, I never played a Wii version of a game that was on other consoles that I felt like was better because it was on Wii. It just never happened. Yeah, and that's because the, the Wii was never built for stuff like this. It was built for an arcade active movement yeah. stuff. The stuff and- that Nintendo did with Wii was great. You know, the stuff yeah. that was designed specifically for Wii was awesome. But, like, mm-hmm. you play a Madden on Wii, oh, you can throw with the Wii remote. <laughs> no. Cool. I don't want to do that. <laughs> oh, you can hold the gun, you know, you get this little attachment. No, I'll do Link's crossbow training or whatever. Like, that's fine. But for the most part, yeah, all these games, like, they just didn't transfer well. That, that was the sacrifice that Nintendo had to make you know, to to compete. This was going to be a weird controller setup, and to say it's as precise and customizable enough to let you be all you can be, I don't even know what that means. I think it's the most cop-out thing of just like, yeah, 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 yeah. You You can be you. You be you, Derek. You be you. I will be me on the Xbox 360. Thank you, GameSpot. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it didn't work out. But one of the things that did, and that this is, um, we've talked on here in Patreon and other areas about exclusivity. It's it's been 
a lightning. It's we're on record bouncing around. I think at this we're on point. record of saying this. Yes, because this is also the era of a lot of that, and a lot of that even in games that are on multiple consoles. So as part of an exclusivity deal between Microsoft and Activision, multiplayer map packs for the Call of Duty franchise, beginning with Modern Warfare, were released first on Xbox 360. The deal would ultimately last until Black Ops 3 in 2015, which introduces a new deal with Sony and PlayStation platforms. Now, Infinity Ward released the variety map pack for the Xbox 360 on April 4th, 2008. It includes the multiplayer maps Kill House, Creek, Chinatown, and Broadcast. The same map pack was released for the PlayStation on April 24th, so really only 20 days later. The variety map pack was downloaded by over 1 million people in its first nine days of release. A record. A record. For paid Xbox Live downloadable content, valued at 10 million US dollars. It was released as a free download for Windows on June 5th, 2008, sponsored by NVIDIA, along with patch 1.6. A further patch for the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 versions of the game was announced over a year later in August 2009. The patch primarily addressed online multiplayer exploits. Patch 1.7 was released in June 2008, and this patch can be applied to the Game of the Year edition directly with no prior patches. Earlier versions must have 1.6, otherwise the game freaks out. It had it built in. Anyway, these were more so for exploits and making the game more, I wouldn't say competitive, but more level. Fun level, yeah. like not allowing people to like camp in like certain areas where like you couldn't really shoot them. They can get out there, get outside the map, dupe guns, things along those lines. Um, it applied for a lot of that stuff. And this is again the era where online is really starting to hit off and really getting not only competitive in a way, but becoming part of the essence of why you play a game. You're you're there to compete online. You're there to level up. You're there to get the better guns and perks. And so. When people exploit those things or cheats or, you know, whatever there is, yeah. definitely sucks. So it's, it's good to have those patches out. Absolutely. It made it really frustrating, especially games. So, like, this was really the turn of where the multiplayer started to become more important than the single player, I think. Yes. And especially online multiplayer. Exactly. And so you had to really start focusing in on that stuff and really just getting rid of exploits because mm -hmm. it ruins a lot of the gameplay. It ruins a lot of the fun. People don't want to play things where someone's spawning in and just stabbing them and running away or they're spawning in and being stabbed like mm -hmm. and killed. And they're just kind of loading in for... 10 minutes or whatever, because you had to go through that whole painstaking process of finding a good lobby, you know, getting a solid internet connection, whoever's hosting, going through all these different processes and things. And so it's good that they were at least acknowledging those issues. And we still experience a little bit of that stuff today, but not nearly to the extent of what it was when this game first came out. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about the reception of this game because a lot of people did like it, but for different reasons. Before Call of Duty Modern Warfare was released, it was predicted to sell even more copies than the highly successful Halo 3. It had received reviews as high as Halo 3's, and it was launching on three systems, as opposed to the one for Halo. 
and demand for the game led to a wide range of retailers only having enough available to satisfy pre-orders. It fulfilled the prediction, and the Xbox 360 version became the best-selling video game in the U.S. from November 2007 up to January 2008, according to the NBD Group. The Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 versions would go on to sell 1.57 million and 444,000 units, respectively, in the United States in November of 2007 alone. By January of 2008, Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare had sold more than 7 million copies worldwide. It was the best-selling game of 2007. During a May 2009 conference call, Activision announced that the game had sold 13 million copies, surpassing Super Mario Galaxy as the best-selling game released that week of November 2007. By November of 2013, six years later, the game had sold 15.7 million copies. Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare received universal acclaim on the PS3, Xbox 360, and PC versions, and generally favorable reviews for the Wii version, according to Metacritic. The gameplay has been cited by reviewers to have brought the genre to a new level of immersion and intensity that we had never seen before. GameSpot gave a favorable review for Call of Duty 4, saying that the high quality of that campaign and its terrific multiplayer options make Call of Duty 4 a fantastic package. Official Xbox Magazine praised the single-player campaign, with even greater praise for the multiplayer mode, which makes the game an instant classic. Xplay commented that, quote, It may not revolutionize the shooter genre, but it comes damn close to perfecting it. GamePro claims that, quote, The amazingly deep multiplayer rivals Halo 3's in terms of reach and scope. And as we said, the game's story has received a considerable amount of acclaim from reviewers. GamePro notes the intense single-player campaign offers up an action-packed experience that features a tremendously compelling narrative. There are moments in the game that will send chills down your spine. GameSpot mentions that the fact that the single-player campaign is over in a flash as the only major flaw. While IGN described the campaign as still very linear, like that of its predecessors, Eschewing the concept of sandbox gameplay, it noted that this resulted in a much richer, more focused experience with beautifully scripted set pieces. IGN's Voodoo Extreme similarly remarked that it virtually plays on a rail, but that's part of its charm. In contrast to later entries in the Call of Duty franchise, Ben Yahtzee Kroshow of Zero Punctuation gave the game a positive review, praising how it never sacrifices gameplay for story or vice versa, and that it featured less of the smarmy, black and white, my country tis of the jingoism that turned me off to most war games. Nevertheless, the game has also received criticism. Xbox World 360 stated, it's smoke and mirrors and a host of cheap tricks, commenting on the notion that the game did not revolutionize the genre. Pellet also remarked that the structure of the single player game should have been updated, and that barging from one invisible checkpoint to the next Throughout the whole campaign just isn't good enough anymore. Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare was widely distributed online in the form of infringing copies. Robert Bowling, community manager at Finity Ward, stated, quote, We pulled some disturbing numbers this past week about the amount of PC players currently playing multiplayer. What wasn't fantastic was the percentage of those numbers who were playing on stolen copies of the game, 
or on stolen cracked CD keys of pirated copies. So definitely, you know, something out there that game devs do look at, especially in the PC market, of seeing like who's played on some pirated copies of it and who's played, you know, legitimately. Yeah, well, of course, all those people are going to want to make the sales. All these corporate mm-hmm. shills. All oh, the shills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Call of Duty 4 and Modern Warfare spawned two sequels, Modern Warfare 2 and Modern Warfare 3, which were released in 2009 and 2011. And a remastered version of Modern Warfare titled Call of Duty Modern Warfare Remastered was developed by Raven Software, and the remastered was released as part of several special editions of Call of Duty Infinite Warfare when that game was released for Microsoft Windows, PS4, and Xbox One, followed by a standalone release for the PS4 in June of 2017. And it was also released for Microsoft Windows and Xbox One in July of 2017. A reboot of all three Modern Warfare installments developed by Infinity Ward and simply titled Call of Duty Modern Warfare was released in October 2019. So a nice two. little bow. Yeah, and two great critical acclaim. I mean, huge updates in the graphics, making it feel, again, like the next-gen aspect of it instead of just cramming it into a disc and being like, hey, all three Modern Warfares, here you go. You know, they actually made basically a new game using what they previously had. And those games were great. And this is Mm -hmm. one of the better remasters done right. People still like these games. Uh, Remakes can be controversial. I think that rebooting the Modern Warfare stuff is an interesting concept. I think people loved the World War II things, but they also loved the Modern Warfare stuff. So, absolutely, really neat. And so that brings us to our conclusion of our Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare episode. As always, Derek, let the people know, why did we choose this episode and what do you think? Well, thank you to the patrons who all voted on this episode uh, because I Mm -hmm. really, really love the Modern Warfare games, uh, the original trilogy. I had so much fun playing these games when they came out. I mean, it really was such an awesome multiplayer. Uh, for the first-person shooter genre, and I really do believe that it, it was the gateway to the modern uh, first-person shooter, uh, especially in the online multiplayer and in the way that you unlock perks oh, yeah. and different loadouts and, and things like that, that, you know, they just sort of made their way into other FPS games, and they gave those games a lot of legs, and they're controversial now because sometimes there's the loot box aspects and getting certain skins and things like that that I don't necessarily love, but you can't deny the influence, the positive influence of Modern Warfare Mm -hmm. on that genre. I really liked this story as well. I had been so fatigued of World War II games. I mean, Medal of Honor games are amazing. The original Call of Duty games were great too. So many games that were just really treading the line between uh, nostalgia, greatest generation, wartime thing, Mm -hmm. and also realism, like a hyper-realism in Modern Warfare Uh, You know, Call of Duty 4 just hit that sweet spot of, hey, we want to give you like a cool, new, modern experience and we want to make it fun and emotional. And 
for me, this game's an 8 out of 10. I think that the online multiplayer was fantastic. I had a great time. And the campaign was interesting enough to where it made me want to buy the next one. But then Modern Warfare 2, I didn't love the campaign as much. And then 3, I waited till many, many years later to actually play. So I think some of that stuff did drop off in favor of the studio to start promoting more of the online stuff, which I understand the whole yeah. industry trended that way. So I get it. But for me, 8 out of 10, what about you? Um, Yeah, it's terrible rating. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's... it's you say that was a great rating? I, did I hear that was an amazing yeah, movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever you wanted to hear is what you heard. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I know reviewers have said this hasn't revolutionized it in a way, but at a minimum, at a minimum, it revolutionized online gaming. It revolutionized bringing people who may not be quote-unquote gamers to the 360, especially to the 360 and some to the PS3 that brought on like the term of like COD bros and bringing on these different connotations for different players, but brought a whole entire new genre to online gaming. And it revolutionized how that was. I mean, many companies followed suit for simple things of like not having health. And the health is just kind of like your screen gets redder or something happens and you have to like breathe and then you get better. Again, not realistic in any sense, but makes super the gameplay more fun. I to... Just breathe. Super realistic. Just do some yoga in a corner and everything's going to be great. It's true. That's what you got to believe. But it changed it up because if you're getting fired at and you're low on low health, you don't want to run and like try and find a health pack when you're already low. So how do you make that shift? And it's a great shift that they did. And it, it changed it. I mean, I spent many a many, I know you did. I know I did spent many hours online playing this teaming up and, you know, it eventually led to some great modes like gun games, zombies that were incorporated into other games that just led to so much more fun play in this. That was just such a great time. And if I had to give this a rating, I would give it um, probably whenever, and this really doesn't relate to this at all. So it's a great rating, but I was thinking about gun game. I would give it to the point in gun game where you get stuck with like those two or three sniper rifles and it just really sucks because I'm not good with the sniper rifles. And I'm at that point, either the people behind me are on a shotgun or the people after me are on like more of an automatic weapon. And it just makes it not that fun. And then frustratingly, you get to your last sniper rifle and someone stabs you. So you have to go back to the other sniper rifle, which sucks. And it's just really frustrating. And then eventually uh, you don't win because you're stuck. Uh, but that person, uh, you're in the kill cam. Um, because that person does uh, the shooty knife thing, and uh, they win uh, out of 10. Terrible rating. Research for this episode was done by Alex Kendall, Derek Baker, and our assistant, Evan Barr. The intro and outro music for this episode was recorded and composed by our friend, Evan Barr. And the new artwork, nice and purple. If you haven't commented on it yet, I want to see those comments. That was given to us by our friend Aaron Shattuck. And as always, we want to thank those people and those who support us monetarily and spiritually are those over at our Patreon. Our Patreon allows access to all of our previous content, whether it be a post-show, a bonus episode, as well as our different gaming servers, our D&D group, and plenty of other perks for being there. Um, we want to thank 
some select few members today with Sky the Bear, Mr. Choff, Nick Hyman, McChief, Climbing Spork, Mr. 1898, and Lee Tom John. Um, if you'd like to join, check out all the links below. Um, it's fantastic time. And again, as Derek said, Patreon's voted this episode in for this month. Uh, so the second episode, or one of at least the episodes per month, will be Patreon picked. And we appreciate that from you guys. As well, we appreciate the follows on all our social media pages. We are on Instagram, Twitter. We're also on Discord. Alex and I are hanging out in there all the time. It's free to join. And we have a lot of fun. We'd love to see you there. And as always, you can check us out on Twitch.tv. See me at Twitch.tv slash Sourman70. That's Twitch.tv slash S-O-U-R-M-A-N-7-0, as well as Derek over at twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. That is twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most likely your favorite podcast listening platform. If you haven't yet, please drop us a review. We love to hear from you guys, and it helps us out a lot. And that, and with that, and also at that, has been our coverage of Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare. Did you grow up with it like we did? Are you a true COD bro? Have you played the newer ones? Or is this one of those games that has shaped how you played online gaming? Let us know. And as always, I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I'm your host, Soap McTavish. This has been Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. 